Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to Ask a Leader. This is the April 7, 2015 edition of Ask a Leader. We've got some theater on tap and then a longer handling of the state of social work in California. Don't go away. We'll be right back after a short station break. Welcome back to the show, everybody. My first guests are Thesbians Jane Page, Kelsey Miller, and Sam Arnold, here to speak briefly about some very special Shakespearean encounters that our local listeners will have. Jane Page is a director and professor of theater at UCI, packing a good deal of in, in her just three years here at UCI with her knowing and innovative approach. If you saw her cat on a hot tin roof last fall, you've seen her high caliber at work. Jane's, Jane Page's extensive directing credits include productions in London, Edinburgh, Vienna, as well as Shakespearean festivals in Colorado, Kentucky, Utah, and St. Louis. And as an additional slice of the community pie, I'd like to mention that Jane's efforts to humanize spaces doesn't stop at theater. She's conducting an informal campaign to liven up suburban living with a measure she calls CTC. It's short for Civilize the Cul-de-Sac. Anyone can take this up. Today, Jane brings to the studio with me here some students involved in this enterprise, Shake and Shakespeare. Kelly Miller is currently a first-year graduate pursuing her MFA, Master's of Fine Arts, that is, is in acting at UC Irvine, originally from Evansville, Indiana. Kelsey also earned her BFA in theater performance from the University of Evansville. Kelsey studied abroad in England and visited Shakespeare's stomping ground, Stratford-upon-Avon. During her undergrad training, she performed in A Midsummer Night's Dream and As You Like It. She's currently participating in the Shakespeare shorts as Sylvia in Two Gentlemen of Verona. You'll see more of her at the New Swan Theater Festival this summer here in Irvine. And tickets are getting brisk already, so folks, jump on those on the, the Claire Trevor Brand School of the Arts website. So also joining us is Sam Arnold. And he in studio here, he's pursuing his Master's of Fine Arts degree in acting at UCI. He hails from Clearwater, Florida and completed his undergraduate degree in acting and is from, uh, from Florida State University in Tallahassee. As an undergrad, he studied for six months in London where he studied Shakespeare and performed in Hamlet, The Tempest, The Winter's Tale, Romeo and Juliet, Henry IV, Part I, and Richard III. Before coming to Southern California, he had acting stints in Chicago, New York, and Sacramento. All the three fine places. So <laughs> all three join me in studio. Welcome back to Ask Leader Jane Page, and welcome for the first time, Sam and Kelsey. Thank you. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you for much. making time for us. Well, we're we're always making time for Jane and the people that she brings in here for, to liven up their portfolios with uh, all media, all kinds of platforms. So here you are three here to tell us about the breakout phenomenon, Shaken Shakespeare, from what did you hatch this idea as you tell us what's in store when you launch this? Well, Here's Jane. Thank you, Claudia. We're really excited about this. This was an idea that was really born from when I was in London in 2012 when Mark Rylance was doing pop-up Shakespeare all through London. And it was sort of festering in my mind and I, and I started talking with students. And I'm gonna turn this conversation over to Sam and Kelsey and they can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, Sam Arnold. Yes, thank you, Claudia. Uh, we were fortunate enough to be in one of Jane's classes, our first uh, term here, 
And in class one day, uh, Jane came in with a spring in her step, which is usually the case, but it was extra springy this day. <laughs> and she got really excited, and she put on some videos for us, and uh, it showed Mark Rylance, who, if you don't know who he is, please look up Mark Rylance. He's going to change the face of acting soon. Uh, it showed Mark Rylance kind of launching this uh, endeavor overseas uh and I'm going to let Kelsey talk a little bit about what the Endeavor is. Yeah, so this Endeavor is really getting Shakespeare uh, to everyone. And Jane is very passionate about uh, spreading the arts and letting it affect everyone. And not it's not just the select few. Mm-hmm. And um, in the theater world and really all over the world, people seem to like bow down to Shakespeare. And Jane is very passionate or about cringe. letting... cringe. Cringe and or Yeah, yeah, yeah. More often yes. cringe. More often cringe and... Be- <laughs> petrified of it. Mm-hmm. But Jane has this thing where it's for everyone and we want to spread that around the campus. Um, so what we're going to be doing, it's called Shaken Shakespeare and we kind of like pop up Shakespeare. We just go ahead and we start into monologues or soliloquies or sonnets or whatever we have in our pocket just randomly with strangers and um, see how they react. And we're going to take this off of the arts campus and take it onto the whole UCI campus. And we're really grateful to the the chancellors, the chancellor. We'll get to the the uh, support here. As give them their credit, but we want to know what uh, so what you're doing then. So you're going to have all forms of literary contributions of the bard, and uh, <laughs> sort of this isn't. It's not. I mean, it's not going to be just comedic. There'll be. Other kinds of tone you oh, bring to this. absolutely, absolutely. What's really cool is uh, one of the first pieces that I did was Hamlet, Ooh. which we all know is not very funny, or <laughs> most of the time is not really funny. But uh, Universal and troubling. <laughs> but uh, I walked up to a couple, and I just kind of started walking next to them, and their attention got shifted towards me, and... I think one of them said, uh, can we help you? And I just kind of started talking to them and doing a soliloquy while I was kind of talking to them in the same kind of tone. And it just kind of falls out of you. It's this really interesting thing that happens where uh, the text lends itself to whatever situation you're in, whatever the text is. It could be highly dramatic. It could be really comedic. But whatever situation you're in, the words kind of just happen. And it makes sense. It makes sense, and the people get really excited. They do. They yeah. play right along. They oh, do play they, right along. Yeah, that's the part that we're all wondering about. Yeah, yeah I mean, they you get some weird looks at first. <laughs> you're um, wondering if you're talking to your phone, or talking to your twelve voices in your head, right? Yeah. Just like what is, what is this person? But then you know, you make eye contact, and then you see a little grin. And if they're grinning, you keep going. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, you just stop, <laughs> and you say congratulations. You've been Shakespeared, and you hand them a little pamphlet. But for the most part, I've had wonderful, positive responses. And then afterwards, we get into conversations about Shakespeare Mm -hmm. and then which opens just this wide conversation for uh, how important the arts are and I've had I just this morning had a conversation about the arts and and how important it is to get it onto onto the bigger campus. Now how are people identified Jane are they um, are they wearing a fluorescent jacket that says Public artworks, or that would be great. We'll have to do that next (laughs) time, Claudia. Thanks for the tip. Um, We're all wearing bright yellow t-shirts with black print. We kind of look like a a swarm of bumblebees uh, in celebration (laughs) for for spring, Um, but we're clearly identified as something specific Mm -hmm. and something special. Mm -hmm. So we're we're hoping that everyone on campus gets Shakespeared. Okay. Uh, so you've told us uh, what our folks' role, and you're, you're going to—you've already started. How how long will this go? Will it be the whole spring quarter? 
the, this is I, Jane Page. The idea is that uh, we will go on all quarter, particularly these first five weeks, because it's the run-up to another very special event that we'll be talking about in a couple weeks called the Shakespeare Shorts Festival. Okay. For those of you who've just joined in, you're wondering what all this frolic is about. <laughs> you're tuned in here on Ask a Leader on KUCI 80.9 FM in Irvine. My guests are UCI theater director and faculty member Jane Page with her students, Kelsey Miller and Sam Arnold. And they are thespians at large, larger than life, larger than the lines they're giving, uh, <laughs> easing in with the, uh, the what the bard had previously written. And so... You maintain the text, and then it's an improvisation based yeah. on the uh, the response you get from willing uh, encounters. Oh, very much Correct. so. And and my favorite part about doing it so far yes. is including people in it. Uh, say you have a simple a, a little prop, and the speech starts. Uh, um, look here upon this picture and on this, the counterfeit presentment of two brothers. And you kind of include them and you explain to them and, and you see what that you say a line and you can wait forever because it's not a real show. I don't have to stick to any rules in that moment. And I can I can even throw in a line of like today text. Yeah. Just say, hey, are you listening to me? Okay, good. And then keep going. And it's kind of, I don't know, it kind of livens the mood for the moment. I'm Actually, because I'm so hammered by finally our, this, overdue response about the whole drought situation. Mm. I'm just wondering if there's anything as topical as state drought emergencies, any, anything you're sort of pairing in there. Does that, is that a possibility? That's a really interesting idea. We're going to mm. have to have a conversation with the team about that. Yeah. There's about almost 45 students involved in this endeavor. So we'll have a conversation you could. about I that. Mean, like, That's so a really great idea, Toilets Claudia. are a bit of an anachronism, but you know, you could say why we we did without so little in our in our day. But uh, what have you done toward using less today? Or I, I'm not sure, but that, ah. but just threading that in there. So that is cool. That's a cool thought. Well, it's That'd be a great idea. It's just I'm a you know it's keep it. <laughs> well, I'm I'm as opportunistic as the next thespian is, but yes, I, without without a with the only one role from uh, my early uh, ed- education. So <laughs> so what is, I mean, I know what you're getting out of this, mm-hmm. but to the formal point, what is your objective? I, I'm guessing you're, you're going to give Claire Trevor Bren, the New Swan Theater, a little bit more of a profile. What else do you want to have happen? You want mm-hmm. people to start writing letters to their <laughs> their local school districts to and say, open up, <laughs> open up the art <laughs> format? I, I think first and foremost, it's about, Spreading some joy mm-hmm. and and uh, trying to welcome people to understanding that Shakespeare is just words. Mm-hmm. There's nothing terrifying about it, mm-hmm. and um, and hopefully to let people know there is indeed a very very vital and large drama department at UCI, yeah. which has its arms open to welcome the entire community. Mm-hmm. Okay, Kelsey. Yes. Well, I just want to go off of that. Um, We were saying what others get from it, but what we get from it is also just validation, again, that Shakespeare is not so scary. Some of us are... I'm still a little terrified of Shakespeare. Mm. But you've been in it. I've been... Yes, I've been in multiple shows, and this quarter I'm hitting the the ground running with Shakespeare, but Mm -hmm. it's it's so nice how Sam was talking earlier about the words lending themselves to every situation. It is so true, and there's just... As soon as you start... Interacting with a stranger, it, all the tension and the stress, it's just, it just is gone. And it's just about the joy of the art and the joy of the words that Shakespeare wrote. It's really incredible. Mm. So you were talking uh, briefly about the 
support all the way up to the chancellor's level. So mm-hmm. they're giving some support in what kind of ways? Well, what should we give them kudos the, for? The Illuminations Project is pivotal to us being able to do this project. They've given us some funding so that we can get our very, very snazzy cards and T-shirts put together. And also um, just the visibility that this uh, opportunity pre- presents for us is is just wonderful. And Julia Lupton, who is uh been a great ally and supporter is also helping us uh, manage manage this and understand uh, what we're up to. Mm-hmm. So we really want to give a shout out and a thank you to them and UCI Drama as well. The department's been terrific. Well, very good. Mm-hmm. So uh, everybody knows their role now. It's to, to start a conversation, to continue culture, mm-hmm. to expand the collaboration, and deepen the support. Absolutely. That's it. All right. Celebrate Shakespeare. All right. Well, I want to thank you. I know all of you have your lines to learn for the other productions coming up. <laughs> Jane's got a class at 10, so I want to thank you all for coming all the way down to the studio to tell us about Shake and Shakespeare. And I'll quickly give everybody the website. It's newswanshakespeare.com. It's, as Jane Tate said, it's supported by UCI Illuminations. That's the Chancellor's Arts and Culture Initiative. Thank you. Jane Page, director, faculty member at UCI, and Kelsey Miller and Sam Arnold for coming on Ask a Leader. All the best, and uh, I'm hoping I'm going to find you. Oh, wherever, we'll co- oh, whenever. You we're, we're coming everywhere. for you. And I'll, I'll try to get my lines together. But get ready. So, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank Jane, you, thank you all. Thank you. Thanks very much. We'll be right back after a, a brief station break and bring on social workers, administrators extraordinaire, that is uh, jo- uh, Jolene Hui and Kurt Wellman than the second half of Ask Leader. Thanks for staying with us, everybody. Thank you, everybody, for staying with us. You're back with Ask a Leader here. My next guests are, the uh, last month, I'll say, uh, was the Social Workers Month. And on the tail of that commemoration, I wanted to present my next two guests, Kurt Wellman and Jolene Hui, to continue taking stock. Jolene Hui is a licensed clinical social worker in the Los Angeles area and the membership coordinator in Southern California chapter of the National Association of Social Workers. She completed the social worker degree at UCLA Luskin School of Public Affairs, and she has trained and worked in community mental health around LA with individuals and group therapy expertise. Her areas of focus include the LGBT population, addictions, women's reproductive mental health, and she is a doulas of North America, a trained birth doula. That's a function performed in assisting women in childbirth. And uh, another hat she's worn is as an HIV counselor and educator. She's involved in professional development of social work, uh, students, and clinical social workers. She's also a member of the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, and is seeking her certification in sex therapy. She comes to us today from LA. Kurt Wellman is director of the California chapter of the National Association of Social Workers. Kurt built his social worker portfolio on his extensive life experience, including the US Army combat medic, city bus driver, 
then transitioning to a large range of community outreach and organizing roles within the National Association of Social Workers organization. He completed his BA in social work at Cal State University, San Diego, where he's currently working on his master's degree. Kurt Wellman comes to us from San Diego, and I said, Jolene Hui from L.A., welcome both of you to Ask a Leader. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's so good to have you on because there's so much that we want to take stock of after the March commemorative month. I imagine that every one of us has had some kind of experience with a social worker. Would Jolene Hui and Kurt Wellman, would you both please tell us about the versatile, the comprehensive range of interventions that social workers provide from cradle to grave and and even further as far as survivors of those onto the grave? Well, you know, social workers, first of all, um, a professional social worker is someone with a college degree in social work, so that could be a, a BA or a BSW, Bachelor's of Social Work, or an MSW, as you know. And so professional social workers, um, we are trained, our education is to be social workers, and we uh, work with children, families, adults, groups, couples. We work with, as I said, children, so very young. We can be infant social workers. We can work with older adults. Um, yes, we can work with hospice. And, and then back to the other end, we can work, you know, prenatally with pregnant women. So we work across the lifespan. And in addition to that, we work on a broad scale, uh, what we call macro, so yes. in advocacy, policy, in the government, um, also with program evaluation, executive leadership in organizations. We also work one-on-one in therapy, providing psychotherapy, counseling, and also case management for people, and everything in between that. So, yes. There is a, a wide range that we cover, um, all, all sorts of different, you know, we work in mental health, we work with children and families, we work in hospitals, we work in schools, the list goes on and on. And looping back with then training and retraining your uh, fellow professionals, and is California keeping pace with training a sufficient number of qualified social workers? Is training, and is it? training different? Uh, it's, is it changing? Social workers are always, we always keep up with the latest developments in the human behavior theory, the practice methods, and, and research to improve upon our practice. You know, we're required as licensed clinical social workers to have so many continuing education credits, and usually those are in the latest um, practice methods or the latest theories. So, yeah, California is, we have a very diverse population, so we have to stay on top of things. So um, I, I wanted to um, open up all the way. We, in preparation for this, we talked about the, the particular professionalism that the social worker credential brings. And that's what some of the commemorative month was about. I'd, I'd like for you to distinguish this preparation versus training of other professionals that are involved, like in child protection services, and, and talk about that as you, maybe you can go back, break down from the macro to the micro, those, what difference the social worker brings in those kinds of interventions. If I may, um, one of the things that's really unique about our field uh, versus some of the other social sciences is we focus on a person and environment. So as we're a clinician who has a psychological background or 
marriage and family therapy uh, focuses on pathology. They use a disease model. They work with what's wrong with the person. Um, in social work, we try to think of it in a little different terms. We try to use a frame where we think of what's right with the person. So we use a strength-based approach. And a person and environment approach allows us to really go in and look at other factors that might influence the person's development. Um, we really try to take into factor, you know, uh, societal uh, upbringing, family environment, uh, education, schooling. We try to look at the whole picture, not just focus on what's wrong with a particular person, which makes our field much more, uh, what I feel, uh, and I might be a little biased in this, much more valuable because we have a clearer picture of what influences the person and, and actually how to help them. I'm wondering when you talk about the the strength-based approach, I, I don't know if you're in a position to sort of quantify, does this have, a, versus the, the what you said, looking at the pathology of the, of the case study, mm-hmm. that uh, does that, in fact, kind of expedite addressing what the situation is, since we're not saying what's wrong with person, but does it address the needs, perhaps, in a, a little more immediate, a more, I'll call it, efficient way? And much more humanistic, um, you know, to, to really label and stigmatize, especially children. If you tell a child he has ADD or behavior problems, I mean, uh, as, a, as a child, he might develop a, a, a stigma or even a self-fulfilling prophecy, and he might grow into those roles that have been assigned to him at an early age. From a strength-based perspective, we look at the strength, and if, per- if a person's going to grow into a role or something that's been defined for them, we certainly want it to be strength-based. You know, look at a person's strength, and everybody has them. To someone sitting on death row, to the child, to the teacher, everybody has some positive influences. And as social workers, that's what we focus on. We don't wear rose-colored glasses. We don't discount pathology and, you know, symptoms. You know, we don't, we don't live in that type of world. But we don't focus on those problems. We focus on the strengths. And if you can, if you can grow a person's strengths, if you can exacerbate those strengths, then we really have a chance at, at really deep healing is what we're going for. We're not just saying take a pill and, and come back in three weeks and you're going to feel much better. We're looking for a, a altruistic and a total healing for a person. Julian, and please. also a way for a person to reflect on on mm-hmm. themselves because you know when you're using a strength based approach you can say what ha- when have you succeeded in the past um, how to help them you know decide when or help them make the choice you know how can I succeed now it really kind of gives them um, you know the power to change themselves so. Uh, we also talked a bit about how the from the early years this has been a bit of a feminized career. Mm-hmm. Just a brief uh, sort of sp- a speed history of that, and uh, wh- why it is that it continues to be largely a female career. Yeah, it's Jane Adams. Jane Adams was the one of the original so the original social worker. Um, she had Whole House and. The original idea of a social worker was a friendly visitor, so it was someone who would come to your house and help you. And, of course, that you, you could imagine that would be traditionally a female role. So that's, that's how that is. That's why, as you say, it's sort of feminized. Um, as for if women are better at relationship building, I, I'm not sure. I think historically that is how women have been treated and how, the, how you know, as a society we, we look at men and women. Um, 
But I think that's why <laughs> there are more women in the profession. Okay. Well, for those of you who've been uh, just joining us, uh, my guests are Jolene Hui and Kurt Wellman of uh, the California chapter of the National Association of Social Workers here on Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine streaming on the web at KUCI.org. And it's uh, really helpful. We've, we've talked about the, the comprehensive range, and I'm, I'm wanting listeners to think about where they've first, uh, their opportunities with a social worker, whether uh, it's some, sometimes there's emergency needs. It's after an assault has occurred at a, a, a public place, or it's after, uh, or you said you've talked about some sort of a, an, a, an emergency, like mm-hmm. a, a wreck, a, 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 mm-hmm. and then, then there's all the way down to where someone has witnessed a, a neighbor's uh, household, there's something not quite right. There may be some abuse, and the social worker is called uh, on by a, a, a sort of a, a succession of referrals and that kind of a thing. So I I don't know if there's any other uh, in the macro the therapy that you wanted to mention. There's some very special roles that I'm not including. So that there's the elder uh, the elder care, which I guess is it becoming uh, an expanded sector of the practice as we're our aging pop our pr- the proportion of our population is uh, in the geriatric cohort are you developing and deepening more the mm-hmm. elder care provisions i noticed that uh, you've talked a little mm-hmm. bit about on your website which we'll also give on this show yeah with the baby boomers aging we we are having to keep up with the the care of older adults and kurt did you want to add to that no i I wanted to say that uh, gerontology is definitely a a field that's uh, growing uh there's more uh money being funneled into research and obviously uh, our field is evidence-based we do a lot of research before we decide what interventions work um with the elders i want to i want to say one thing though uh, in regards to LGBTQA issues, yes. uh, one of the one of the uh, things that we've been really advocating for uh, as as a, an association, as the NESW, is really uh, cultural awareness and cultural sensitivity. A lot of the uh, people uh, who are reaching that that gold, their golden years that are LGBTQA have to live in fear because of the lack of cultural sensitivity in assisted living care facilities. Uh, we made a movie called Gen Silent uh, that was sponsored by the NESW, and I urge all of your uh, listeners to, to take a minute to watch this movie. It'll break your heart uh, that people that have been involved in Stonewall and, and gay rights uh, throughout their lives now have to go back into the closet to live their golden years. And it's really uh, saddening that, that we're living like this. We did, we did have an opportunity to speak with a geriatric uh, coordinator director at the, the center in, uh, in Santa Ana for LGBTQ community. And we did talk about the Gen Silent nice. film. It's, I, I've, I've seen, uh, I think, a portion, not the whole part, but it's, it is, uh, it's really uh, a, a, a sort of uh, a, a unimaginably sad uh, chapter of having t- the, the struggle of having been out but having to go back in again the, the closet where you are denied it's not just recognition uh, on a as an a, as an individual but there are needs that need to be addressed and they simply don't get addressed and it, it only gets more compre- compre- um, comprehensive and complicated as 
a, a person ages and has mm-hmm. more needs mm-hmm. at, and more needs of how to cope. And I'm sure mm-hmm. the, the coping is exactly what the social worker is addressing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, um, so we're all aware in the state and local budgets with scarce funds that uh, the social workers' caseloads are vying for uh, attention uh, get uh, amidst all of the priorities, uh, especially now with uh, Governor Brown's uh, addressing the shortage of uh, funds for, we're talking about uh, the incarceration system, the uh, delayed uh, uh, meeting, delayed needs of the, in the education system, both from primary, secondary to higher level education with, uh, we've got now a a huge drought that needs to be managed and that's not going to come on the cheap. There's so many backlogs of needs. I'd like to know uh, how you see your role in the state. We'll we'll get to the specific uh, legislators that represent the areas, including where uh, this uh, based, this radio station is based, but if you mm-hmm. can talk to how you're reconciling all of those other big needs in the state when you're making your case to the governor's office. Going? Um, go ahead, Kurt. <laughs> I want to I try to paint a picture, if I can, uh, really quickly. So the history of social work, uh, a lot of the politicians and a lot of even the states and, and the U.S. government has rolled it over on the faith-based organizations. They figured that these organizations, these churches, these philanthropic groups were responsible for the care of its citizens. Um, and for a long time, our, 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 the field of social work wasn't valued. There wasn't money set aside on a, on a, on a national or state level to meet the needs. Um, what happened after the First and Second World War, after people uh, became homeless, after people experienced uh, various uh, trauma and circumstances, uh, our field began to develop, and social workers became more into play. The problem with the field of social work is that there's a lot of elected leaders and a lot of uh, government officials who still believe uh, this antiquated belief system that it's up to the churches or up to specific communities to help its, its uh, vulnerable populations, which isn't the case, because a lot of people, uh, myself included, are one paycheck, or maybe two or three paychecks, away from being homeless. You know, the veteran population here in San Diego is, they. you know, some statistics say that it's 60 or 70 percent of the people, and there's a lot of homeless people in San Diego who are veterans. So whose responsibility is it, is a deeper question. Is it the church's responsibility that are struggling with, with membership and ideology issues, or is it the, is the city and state or even the government's responsibility to funnel money into these programs? Um, a lot of people think that, that homeless people are, are, are just lazy people, and that's the stigma that they have to face, and that's not always the case. A lot of these people are facing trauma, unresolved, uh, veterans, issues. It's a, it's a very complicated issue. We advocate at all levels at the NESW to fight for more funds, but we're fighting an uphill battle because of this, um, this thinking that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. Well, it sounds like there's a collision here of confounding circumstances that mm-hmm. you've already talked about, that mm-hmm. the social worker professional is credentialed to, to deal mm-hmm. in a, a, qualify, a deeply qualified way with the case, the individual. And, and we're watching, uh, we're seeing more returning, more maimed, 
veterans of the Afghani-Iraqi war theaters. And so yeah. it's, a, it's, it's a steep, steep demand uh, with a complicated needs that you're, you're dealing. It's sort of the, the beginning mm-hmm. of this cascade of a, a, a less and less supported individual uh, without, a, without shelter, without uh, healthy coping so, mm-hmm. uh, support devices and that kind of a thing. So it must, it must be, it sounds very daunting. I'd also <laughs> like to address the, the, the uh, salary scarcity that we as social workers are facing. Based on the 2013 uh, Department of Labor statistics, social workers make $12,000 less on average than a registered nurse. Now, we are social workers. I'm sure all of your readers at one point, or all your listeners, rather, at one point or another have had contact with a social worker. Right. We value ourselves and we value the work that we do. We're marginalized at every sense, so it's not a, it's not a highly prolific field in the sense that people are drawn to it. Um, we make 20000 and based on the same statistics that I quoted, we make $20,000 less than a computer programmer. I value computer programmers. I use computers all myself, but I think that we as social workers provide a valuable service that goes unrecognized in, in the work profession and in, in the field. Yes. So with that, I, I'd like to have you talk to how social workers deal with the ever-increasing caseload with diminishing, now you're saying the salary's diminishing, but there's also mm-hmm. per, per social worker agency, there's less funding available. How mm-hmm. uh, is that getting reconciled? How are you dealing with that? What do you suggest? Joanne, do you want to take that? Or? Um, you know, there is, I, I think when we were talking yesterday, there is, yes. there is such a thing as burnout. And it's a very real thing and in the social work field. And that is something that we're always aware of. I mean, even in the beginning of, of our training, in the beginning of my MSW program, we always heard about self-care, self-care, self-care. So unfortunately, um, this is just a reality of our, of our field. So there, there's always that, that burnout possibility. So I think one of the things is we just have to be aware that, that we are overworked and we are underpaid right now, and we have to do the best that we can to advocate, um, to talk to our community leaders, but to also do the best we can with our clients if we're working one-on-one. And we also have to remember to take care of ourselves. So mm-hmm. that is one thing that we do learn is to try to take care of ourselves, remember ourselves, because when you're doing this kind of work, it is very intense. And you can get very involved in it, and it can be really difficult to keep a good life balance. So we always have to remember that and to take care of ourselves. So that is one way that we can cope with this this um, extreme, um, just this extremely difficult work and the overwhelming amount of cases and the over, not, overwhelming amount of work that we have. And and Kurt, you mentioned too in preparation that there is a kind of a, it's a sort of a slate of hand that some municipal agencies will try to simply pare down the number of cases that are assigned as a way of presenting a, a, a lowered demand. When in fact, tell us what's really going on here. What's the, what does that really, what's happening? 
Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, a lot of these organizations uh, and they uh, play almost a shell game with the numbers. It's a, it's the numbers of how many services are provided. The problem is is that getting an accurate snapshot is, is very difficult because it takes uh, somebody with integrity, with intestinal fortitude, to go out there and say, "There's you know, there's six thousand people in in San Diego." I use that as a as a my target uh, environment. There's six thousand homeless people in San Diego. Well, what what's the city going to do about this? What's what are the agencies going to do? The problem with is that with the scarcity of resources, homelessness is a problem. Everybody says, well, I don't want to see homeless people in my neighborhood. I don't want them digging through my trash. I, but, but nobody has a clear-cut solution. You know, you know, giving these people homes, you know, people that are experiencing homelessness, giving them homes first, you know, is going to cut down. It's a proven the statistics. The evidence shows that putting people that are experiencing homelessness in homes first is a proven method. But nobody wants to put the money, won't want us to make that investment or to make that policy statement that, that, that homeless people are valued. And I, yes, Jolene. Can, can I bring this back to, I'm going to bring this back to your county, actually. I know uh, Kurt and I are kind of, this is an Orange County sandwich. I'm here in Los Angeles and Kurt is in San Diego. But I, mm-hmm. I do want to bring some numbers in Please for do. Orange County. Um, the governor's budget actually resulted in a 9% reduction in child welfare funding for your county, and that was from 2010 to 2013. So, so because of that, the, the county reduced its caseload by 12%, and this is what you're talking about. What, do, what happens when this happens? So what happens is the county kind of controls that spigot, so fewer cases are assigned to social workers. So so what kind of cases are then assigned? It's probably the worst, you know, I mean, the the very worst of the worst. Which, so then there are all these other cases that aren't being taken, and it, children and families are being jeopardized because of that, because we can only take, you know, with the budget being reduced, it's not that... We're taking on more and more cases. We're only taking the worst of the the worst of the worst cases. So there are still those other cases that aren't being addressed, and what's happening to those children and what's happening to those families. And as you both have pointed out to me in preparation, that the 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 preventative phase, a preventative mm-hmm. step of social worker intervention. I want you to get then give us your best sort of fiscal measure of what. Early intervention costs save in these more complicated eventual um, interventions. So an outlay by the city, the gov- the county, or the state is able to, to uh, save those jurisdictions later on. To what uh, order of magnitude would you say? Well, it, how much does it cost to house a, a prisoner every year? <laughs> right. Fifty, sixty thousand dollars a yeah. year. So, if that money was put into prevention and early intervention, helping kids when they're younger, helping house people, um, imagine we wouldn't have as many people in prison. We would be saving money. We would have healthier communities, healthier society. And men. I want to let those of you who just joined us, my guests for this portion of the hour are Jolene Hui and Kurt Wellman of the California chapter of the National Association of Social Workers here on Ask a Leader on KUCI 
88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming on the web at KUCI.org. And we talked uh, about Orange County's municipal level of uh, the decisions of allocating resources toward social workers' intervention. Uh, And I'd like to have you tell us, what is your approach toward appealing to the Matthew Harpers? He's now our state representative uh, out of he's located uh, housed in Huntington Beach and then the um, the recently elected in a special election John Morlock is our state senator how Jolene Hui and Kurt Wellman are you appealing to to their rather uh, fiscally very conservative sensibilities to to see that the preventative side um, is, is to their benefit well, I think um, just what I said, you know, laying out the numbers that way, you know, how much does it cost in the long run to house a prisoner or, you know, how much does it cost to pay for emergency services, um, um, all these um, emergency services for homeless individuals when we could just be putting money into housing first. I believe Kurt addressed that with the homeless population. Right. It saves a lot of money in the long run. So for someone who's fiscally conservative, just really laying out these numbers, you know, if you put this money, which is not as much money as it costs in the long run, if you put this little bit of money in at the beginning, you're saving a whole lot of money in the long run. I think fiscally, if you if you talk that way, I think that that's a good way to reach them. Have you had a chance? I mean, Matthew Harper's been in office since... Uh, his swearing in by uh, December, January. So have you uh, had a chance to talk with him yet, either one of you? No. Not and yet? what we really try to do, it's really hard to dissuade uh, people that have a really entrenched ideology uh, to really get them to see the validity of social work or even social justice, for that matter. What we've done is try to take an approach uh, to elect social workers in the California State Assembly and even on the national level, we have a very robust and very rich political campaign uh, that we advocate. Uh, Tony Thurman was just elected up north, who's a social worker at MSW. So what we try to do is we try to stack the deck, um, because to go in and fight head-to-head with, with, with these politicians that, that don't really have uh, foresight, no disrespect to these elected officials, or the, uh, or, or the, the, the aptitude or perception to really to really address these issues that we're trying to do. So rather than go head-to-head with them, we try to um, stack the deck with with, um, political, uh, socially aware candidates who can begin to to make some sweeping and broad changes on a statewide level. Well, I, I, I don't know if I want to, I want to give you more credit than stacking the deck. It's not so, that, that's a cagey kind of uh, term, but just to sort of intervene, I guess, and provide social work to the, the right. state arena, state <laughs> government. They need their social yeah, work. And so, perspective. absolutely. And so I just want to uh, mention that April 19 to 20, it's slated for a vigorous lobby press from all of your local chapters that you'll be presenting social work in a really tough place, uh, as I said, mm-hmm. with these individuals. So uh, if uh, there's a way for folks to follow on your website um, at uh, www.naswca.org, uh, people mm-hmm. can see where they can uh, follow a, a pitch that you've started with uh, maybe with their weighing in with where the social worker uh, turned around a an, a an important crisis uh, 
uh, especially the maybe encouraging people more from the preventative uh, side of your intervention. But I suppose th- those those are other ways you can intervene and uh, not stack the deck in the legislative arena to, to help make that case. And I guess maybe mm-hmm. there's there's the poster families, the poster individual that can help you in your April 19th to 20th, uh, the, the press uh, going into the the legislature. Definitely. And is that going on? Is that sort of a I mean, are all state legislatures around uh, generally in the spring? Are, are they all making this, or this is just a this is a special California venture? Um, it's actually this is a California uh, thing that's been going on for I believe it's a couple of decades. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, every year in April, um, we have students and professionals meet in Sacramento. Um, and they're trained on how to speak with their representatives, how to lobby their representatives. And then on that Monday, I believe, everyone goes to the Capitol, and they have their assignments, and they speak with their representatives about the the specific bills that NASW is um, working on. So, yeah, that is a California thing. I I think across the country, everyone kind of does it differently, differently. some people do it. Some people don't. I, I'm really not sure, but this is definitely an annual thing for California, and it's and it's a really big deal. So they're they've got the Orange County delegation. That is the uh, constituents have their work cut out for them. We I mean we all uh, we all feel that way when we have a progressive agenda that uh, appealing to the the fiscally conservative sensibilities to to make inroads. And, and meet them halfway and say, folks, it's so fiscally sound. And I'm sure you give primers on your uh, website for how people can give it their best effort if they can't go to Sacramento, at what right. they can do in writing the letter, sending the email, making the phone call to staff and that kind of a thing. Well, mm-hmm. uh, so you mentioned a little bit, and I would like you to open up a little bit more about the social worker's role in carrying social justice issues. Mm. Just tell us where you've seen some very topical developments where social workers are on the forefront of making the cases. Um, I just want to start here by saying that actually um, social, the National Association of Social Workers has a code of ethics for all of social workers to kind of follow and as a guidance in their career. And we have what's called core values. And social justice is actually one of our core values. So it is part of our career, essentially, and we are the only profession that employs social and political action to meet its goals of social and economic justice. So um, I know Kurt had a lot to say about social justice, so I'll let him take over. Please do. Kurt? Yes. What would you, know, you... With, with the Ferguson event that just took place and the event in Staten Island with I Can't Breathe, I don't know if you saw the video. Uh, I'm not a police expert, so you'll have to bear with me. I did watch the video. Um, the, the gentleman, the young gentleman who was selling cigarettes outside of a uh, establishment was choked 42 times while screaming, I can't breathe. This is abhorrent. Uh, the statistics show that, that people of color, that young men of color, are 21 more times likely to suffer uh, murder uh, than uh, a white or a, a, a young man of another race. These, these facts, these statistics... Are, are scary. In our work, we, we empower, with whatever resources are necessary, communities of color. We, don't, we have a high degree of empathy, and we are the ones that stand with these communities of color to talk about the injustice. We're the ones that demonstrate. We're the ones that organize. We're the ones that go into these communities and provide 
answers or, and, and try to brainstorm, you know, not with pushing an agenda. I'm a, I'm a white male. It's easy for me to come in and say, well, I have all the answers. This is what you need to do. But every day, white privilege is an institutional racism are, are rearing its ugly head. What's going on in Indiana? This law that was introduced, this anti-gay uh, law that was introduced in California, are, are repugnant to the social work code of ethics. And we're taking, we're, we're, we're developing strategies to fight injustice, like in Ferguson, that's happening in Indiana. We're, we're organizing, we're mobilizing to fight this injustice in every way, shape, and form that we can. So we're not only, we're not only helping and healing, but we're fighting for those that aren't ready or willing to fight for themselves. Kurt can, and Jolene, too, uh, mm-hmm. can you tell me to what extent have social workers been able to intervene in uh, the in police practices? So back to Ferguson, is there uh, are, are there social workers that you know of or with the cases of uh, police shootings, unarmed uh, males in California? Are are mm-hmm. social workers a part of the PDs? I'll answer this, if I may. Yes, please uh, do. Mm-hmm. The NASW here in San Diego has strategic partnership with the ACLU. Uh, we have ongoing litigation with against the San Diego Police Department for racial profiling. We're advocating we're advocating police cameras on every single police officer that cannot be turned off at the officer's discretion. We want no. We demand accountability. Right. The accountability in San Diego. We're fighting them every day. We're putting in briefs and motions and fighting them in their own courts to, to get justice. But before those the, those um, litigation steps are taken, are, are there parts of your intervening in police practices, at, let's say a more preventative step? Mm-hmm. We've shut down the freeways here. Uh, we've, we've raised awarenesses. We've had demonstration after demonstration after demonstration. But inside the, inside the agency, Kurt, are you involved? I'm not. No, they've, they've, they're, it's a closed door. They won't let us in. Oh, um, is that right? They, 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 it's a brotherhood of blue. Uh, it's a code, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to sit here if I if I have trouble. If I there's a you know a, a loud noise in my neighborhood, I'm I'm going to call the police. So I'm not anti-establishment, but the training, the sensitivity that these officers need is is lacking in in, in San Diego and across California because the numbers show that that people of color are more likely. To be profiled, more likely to be stopped, and more likely to be shot, and that that in itself, to me, is criminal. Well, maybe with the Department of Justice's uh, early pronouncements about that that uh, discriminatory thinking that enters into a police officer's approach to a, a minority um, a constituent, that perhaps that's going to, from the top down, maybe put some wind in your wings to making this case uh, for <laughs> social worker intervention at the the police department level. It sounds like that's that's where an ounce of that prevention is going to be more than a pound of uh, savings on the other end of those violent confrontations. Uh, we, we, we held a town hall meeting right after Ferguson and Jan Lee Wong, our executive director, flew down and led it. And we had two representatives from the San Diego Police Department. And they were really honest and candid. And they said, look, we're not bad people, but, but we, we, have, we have a culture that we live in, and we're trying to do the best we can, but we don't have the training or the aptitude to deal with, 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 with what's going on. And they, they were really honest, but it was, a really, uh, it was, a really, it was, it was really sad that, that these people that are paid to protect us, you don't, you, we don't have that confidence in their abilities anymore. Well, I need to draw this one all the way down. I want to 
thank both Kurt Wellman and Jolene Hui with the California chapter of the National Association of Social Workers here on Ask a Leader. And I want to wish both of you uh, well on this tall order uh, on your plates, both in the training, intervening, advocating, and overseeing uh, all of these all important functions. I, I uh, hats off to you with what where your comprehensive services are making a difference. And I again, I just wish you really well. Thank you for being on the show today. Thank, Thank you very you much. So much. Thank you, and take Having care. Bye bye. Well, we are going to close the show with a. Just an announcement, a treat to tell you that uh, previous Ask a Leader guest and water warrior Jay Familietti will be speaking here on campus this Wednesday. That's tomorrow night if you're listening now, 7 p.m. at the Engineering Lecture Hall 100. His title, Up a Creek, What Satellites Tell Us About California's Epic Drought. It's good news to see and hear him while he's in the media everywhere these days, especially as he's now defending his button-down dire assessment of our not being able to conserve our way out of this massive water shortage in California. And I just want to mention, too, that training starts this week. Community members are welcome to take the course this quarter. You can get the information emailed training at KUCI.org. And on KUCI.org's website, there is more information posted about the course. And if our good uh, human resources management extraordinaire Kwame uh, White's listening, Kwame, enjoy the class. I'm delighted you're interested. Well, this does bring the show to a close. I uh, want to thank you all for listening. Next week, I'm going to have on Ann Whitney, UCI's Emergency Management Administrator in the middle of the Earthquake Preparation Month. And then we'll hear from UCI Professor Sean Wojcik about his recent findings that political liberals display greater happiness. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone. <laughs>